because uh, I think Zoom probably is too technologically advanced to be able to handle some of these audio tests because um, there are times when I'm uh, breathing hard, like if I'm walking or something, like if I'm you know pacing around during a call, and they can't hear it, and I've checked before, and so I think that yeah. it has some crazy algorithms that filter out the sounds of being human so that you can be an employee. It's annoying because I have to use a million different types of Zoom because, of course, my hospital had to use WebEx and not Zoom, oh but God. all of our vendors use Zoom. So it's just like adapting to all these stupid different inputs and outputs. And then some of them pick up on my AirPods or whatever my input is <laughs> automatically. And others, I have to every time go into the preferences and toggle where the input and output are going to. So it's like... I'm constant. I'm I constantly be in the preferences. Yeah, it's. I mean, also the one, actually, one one other funny the early Zoom anecdote that was from the you know back when we thought this pandemic was only going to last a month and a half or two, was that I we I got on a Zoom happy hour with my buddies from college and I had just put this like funny picture of Bill Clinton as my background, and then I logged into a Zoom call and that was like the first like Zoom re- remembers those preferences. So it's just like Bill Clinton like sitting over my shoulder and luckily it was like not something more. The jokes I was riffing were like a lot more. Hey Brian, want to touch my? Yeah, they're NSFW, so it was. It worked out that the picture was just kind of a. I think I lost my Bill Clinton voice. Everyone used to be able to. Everyone in America used to be able to do a Bill Clinton. I can still do W, right? Not really. Shit. Obama, Obama's easy. Oh, Lenny, they're all easy. They're all easy. impressions. You gotta. It's about staying current. It's like your student loans. I was hoping. Joe Biden. I hope I was hoping Major Biden would uh, eat my student loans. <laughs> How many people in America do you think? And forget about that. What is the Venn diagram of people who know the name Major Biden? So they're up to date with news enough to have heard that, but that also think that's a nickname for Joe Biden. I think it's a pretty good number. I think it's like Major Biden or they're confusing it with Hunter. They're all kind of in the same like those names are just regular enough to be like either a dog name or a nickname for a human. So, um, but I think people, if they know Major Biden, then they know that like Joe Biden's not like a military guy. I feel like if Joe Biden had a military pass, no, they might. I'm, that's what I'm saying. I think probably more. at least 15, 20% of the people who have heard the name Major Biden think that Joe Biden was just like, that's a, you know, Major, 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 Major Biden. That's my nickname. <laughs> um, yeah. All right. Welcome to the Infinity License episode 63. Uh, Brian Pisano, how are you doing? I'm doing good. How are you doing? And Lenny DeFranco, how are you doing? I'm doing fine. Um, the last time we uh, did a podcast was five months ago, and since that time, I've re- relocated temporarily to, temporarily to Columbia, and you've relocated to Dadland. Oh, yeah, it's next to Greenland. Yeah, Dadland. It is. It's a c- mythical island. Yeah. Um, how's Dadland going? Uh, it's good. He's starting to sleep more actually, so that's the best I can report. The first two months of Dadland is a wild time. Dadland is temporal. It's not a space. It's a temporal location. <laughs> Um, and he, yeah, the baby did not sleep a lot or like slept very intermittently. It slept a lot, but also woke up a lot, um, for the first two months of his life. And now young Charles William is, uh, sleeping for eight to nine hour stretches at a time, which is dope. Wow. Um, a habit he'll keep for probably about 12 more years and then he'll start to get no sleep. That's right. If he, uh, if he follows in his father's footsteps that's that's gonna track um it was i didn't want to be that guy you know it's like it is one of those things where you know people are like the the joke is when you're having like when your spouse is pregnant or like 
everyone who has a kid is like, oh, get some sleep now, like, get some get some rest, like, you're going to hit it. And I'm like, ah, oh, like, whatever. I'm not going to do that to other people. But then, like, when you're in it, you're like, oh, yeah, th- this sucks. <laughs> like, I, like, I've missed sleeping. <laughs> and I'm jealous of people that can do it and, on a regular basis, free of their own, you know, like, not having to, uh, you know, feed another human being what do you think is going to be as of now what is your prediction for what's going to be harder the psychological turmoil of having someone who knows your every precise weakness and insecurity or not sleeping now and oh sorry Uh, knows all of those insecurities and is willing to use it against you or not sleeping now i I think it's a sleep thing, to be honest, because it's like the thing is that I'm I, there's some people that I think that are in love with being a parent. And I, it's like and, <laughs> and there's and some not, who hate it. There's, there's some who are just like, and there's man, some who fucking don't. You know, it's funny when all these reports come out about the declining birth rate and how we're basically going through like a slow motion children of men slash had man sale kind of thing. Um, and that there was no COVID baby boom, that kind of stuff It's the other thing that I've talked to my friends about is that like kids, people who had kids young. Like or young, meaning that in their mid twenties, you know, traditionally when put more people were of parenting age, I probably could have gotten by on less sleep and that kind of stuff. Back then, I was like going out all the time, and like I was in Manhattan, like you know, live in Manhattan in Brooklyn, like living, you know, living up life. And this like always millennial postponing of adulting and then dad, dadding or momming or whatever you want to call it. Um, it's like yeah, the you're I don't have that same refractory period like I, I need a longer refractory period to get back up to speed like you know when I was in my mid-20s I was like yeah I can go out and then go to work and now I can't do that <laughs> like right. yeah so so you know back in those days they probably people did like they're just like whatever they just dealt with it they didn't have to complain about it as much because they also were younger they had more vitality to them interesting so a lot of them that's my hypothesis based on no information just anecdotal information well that leads us into our first topic (laughs) um so brian you had a run-in with a fellow dad recently on the streets of your very own park slope why don't you tell why don't you tell us what happened and where he touched you uh it wasn't a fellow dad it's the general it's the general vibe of dads so the, the the plurality of dads in the neighborhood um and the real thing is that it's like the second the cdc mask uh, like the CDC and Joe Joe Biden, major major President Biden, um, uh, announced that they would be relaxing the um, mask guidelines. Um, I was like, awesome, dope. I was like, great, mask off right right away. I was like, done, because I'm like, I'm uh, I'm more than happy to wear a mask inside, and I was fine wearing it outside too. But I was just like, you know what? I'm sick of this. The CDC guidelines say that we know enough about the virus now, and this is great. Like, it's getting nicer out. I like, I don't want to stop like sweating on my face and that kind of stuff um so i i did it i followed the guidelines and i was like okay i'm outside walking the dog i'm not at a concert or anything like that so i took off my mask and then i immediately just got shade from all my neighbors (laughs) like walking down the street everyone in brooklyn or park slope brooklyn at least for the right now as of mid-may i would say that masking is still probably like 70 percent of people i will say since we had the conversation last it has gone steadily gone down slowly so i don't know if people are just getting more brave or if they're less fearful of the societal peer pressure of masking but so it was like it was like 90 percent two weeks ago when they first announced it and even then after the the cdc guidelines and now it's like yeah so the interesting thing so okay so this is interesting to me because um i think that a you're tapping into a frustration that a number of people have talked about there's been a series of articles and the general complaint is basically about how in like liberal land, um, the some of these like 
some of the signs that the pandemic is starting to abate are not being welcomed as liberatory so much as they're being like resisted almost in some cases case in point people who want to continue wearing masks even though that like even the official guidelines don't have to and by the way it as you pointed out to me that the outdoor spread was overestimated this whole time yeah it's been there's been so like i guess and yes there has been so little the science is there you can see it the frustrating thing is the science is there and the liberal attack like for example the specific example i referred to you once is that i saw a family coming out you know two days after the cdc guidelines came out came out come out of their six million dollar brownstone which prominently displays a sign in this house we believe in science we believe in black lives matter blah 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 but they're all masked up and they all they they threw shade at me for not wearing my mask i'm like Okay, a, you don't believe in science. Science is a process. B, you're not following the science. The science is if you even took, you don't even have to do that much research. Like the New York Times, Washington Post, Wall Street Journal, CDC, all these journalists, the journalistic part of these businesses have posted information saying that outdoor transmission rate is basically nil. You know, it's like there's only been like globally for the 8 billion people that live on this planet, you know, you could put the number at anywhere between like a hundred and a thousand cases or something like that. It may have changed since, but all it's of them like, from Singapore it is a, construction sites. Right. Yeah, exactly. And ones that were mislabeled that like right. essentially it was a construction site that was labeled as outdoors, but it was like the data was just kind of filed incorrectly. Well, and what I'm referring to is that there's, you sent me the David Leinhardt, um, Leonhardt uh, article about that basically digging into the data that the, the CDC originally used to come up with the, the famous stat that they they keyed off of was that less than 10 percent of transmissions happen outdoors. But it's actually probably closer to like less than one percent, less than half of a percent. They just vastly overestimated out of a combination of politics and also faulty data that like literally every in a relatively small sample set, almost every case of outdoor transmission came from um, the like for some reason Singapore's like health the way that they modeled this the way that they counted the data um, they were counting areas that included indoor and outdoor areas as outdoor so um, right. it was it's suspicious and basically it's just the story of like the people that were making the policy were erring way on the side of caution for which on its face is understandable but at the same time it's like you know part of this whole this whole thing has been, there, even if we had all the correct data during the COVID era, it's so different. Like even just one person's reaction to it versus another's is so weird and wacky. If you add on to it, this tendency of uh, the officials that are telling us what to do, they kind of change their, they change their advice all the time and they're kind of mixed up. It's just a, no wonder like so many people don't believe in this, you know, because like they, they were telling us to, that it was surface based and don't wear and don't wear masks originally, you know, and right. And I don't and think it's the any, I, the, the difference between me and someone else is that I don't, I don't think it's a malign thing. I think it's naturally like humans haven't had to deal with this in a while, but it is, it, I mean, it's been a recipe for confusion. Here's the frustrating thing. I totally get those takes. And now, you know, like off the jump, you mentioned that the, we weren't sure if it was respiratory droplets spreading or surface spreading and that kind of stuff. So if we're talking about a year ago, you know, last March or April, we're taking all these precautionary measures and we're like, okay, like, let's try everything. Let's do it. But we're not in that scenario. We're in the scenario a year, a year, almost a year and a half later where we do know we're like, okay, we have the data now. It's like pretty sufficient. This thing is global. We have a, a big enough sample size to be like, okay, we uh, uh, like we can test and trace and know where this is coming from. Yeah. No, like I, so, okay. The outdoor spread thing has been a, a tip that I've been on for a while. Like I, I was saying this back when 
um, you know, my friend and I were marching in the protests last summer and it was like, is this safe? And it's like, we're outside. It's fine. You know, because even back then it was sort of kind of known once we figured out how it spreads, it's like, we're outside. There, there's like the same error that, you know, when a spider makes a web, even if you're inside, if it's, if it's like, there seems like there's no airflow. If they just, the spider just generates a little silk thread and it drops down and it starts to get picked up by an air current because there's always an air current. And I always think of that whenever I think of COVID, because like if you're feeling the air, the air is actually circulating a lot more than it feels like. So um, I'm glad the CDC finally got on that. Now, having said that, as someone who is thoroughly on team, don't have to wear it outside. I want to play devil's advocate to your fundamental complaint. And when I speak to you, I speak to this whole movement of people that are basically um, caught up in the idea that we liberals need to start to let go of COVID. First of all, I will concede what I think the fundamental complaint that you guys have is. And I agree that it's annoying and it's basically something that ties into the idea of like the law, what the iron law of the institution and the iron law of the institution is that someone with a position of power within an institution or any position within an institution will fight to an act to maintain that position rather than to do something that is in the benefit of the institution as a whole. Right. Right. Um, the example that I remember hearing from like some old YouTube firing line is William F. Buckley mentioned like, you know, the anti-slavery league being opposed to emancipate emancipation because it would mean the end of the anti-slavery league. And I think that in a very obviously fractured political scene, COVID has been a massive COVID, COVID is a Rorschach test, right? And our society right now, if COVID is to be believed, cleaves along the lines of not just like rich and poor and urban and rural and stuff, but there's the people that feel like they're running the country and the feel the people who feel like it, the country's just happening to them, right? That stuff's just happening to them. And COVID is a puzzle that's pretty easy to solve. Like it took us a couple months, but with the, every scientist in the world's heads together, it became clear that it's breathed out through droplets, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And here's the things you can do as a population to stop it. To the elites, to, to rather the people who see the world as a series of controllable variables, right? Which generally corresponds with more elite, uh, like more of an elite attitude. Right. Um, the answer to COVID was simple. Like, okay, do the things we're supposed to do and we can get over it. Uh, to people who feel like the world is just a bunch of stuff happening to them and maybe they're very resentful about it, this was just yet something else coming down the hill, some more shit rolling down the hill that they didn't ask for. And uh, the people that were really in charge of it uh, and, and in charge of, you know, the scolds uh, were these these liberals who also tend to be enormous scolds in general. I mean, scolding certainly is the mode of the day for these urban liberals. So I do acknowledge that now that this crisis is ending, it sort of represents for some of these people um, the iron law of the institution is kind of being seen and they'd almost rather be perpetuating the crisis in their own minds and keep fighting this war that they feel like they're on the righteous side of rather than give up the war. Okay. So I, I agree with you that that's annoying. The, the However, frustrating, I guess the frustrating thing is like, yeah, you know, in our case, it wasn't so much a, even like it wasn't a culture war from the perspective of a like race culture war, which was a different thing that happened in the pandemic, but it was like a, it was a, um, it was a culture war of like, I am a good wearing a good, a mask in some parts of the country made you a good person and not wearing it made you a bad person. And the inverse of that in other parts of the country where you're yep. like, oh, 
the dumb the dummies the rich people that are like exploiting me are the ones wearing masks and i am a free person that loves freedom so i won't because i'll, I'll spit on the in their face <laughs> like because i don't want to deal with the fake news and you know the evil anthony fauci with his fake fake ideas yeah yeah no but that's that's exactly that gets us back to the to the main point which is um in colombia it's not politicized and witnessing a, a covid situation that's not politicized was really kind of a culture shock at first because when i came when i left new york in february there was like 10%, 25% indoor dining allowed or something. And I remember the social calculus at the time was not just do I feel comfortable dining inside, but am I the kind of person that would dine inside? Because you were a weird Trump-loving Mazpeth Queens, you know, Staten Islander or something if you did want to dine inside. Which, by the way, you did have to kind of – everything got cleaved along our political partisan lines, and so it made sense why that was. Um but it also led to um, masks being seen as a sign, of, as a flag of affiliation. And in the U.S., it would, given our political situation, a mask of a, a sign of affiliation is an extremely important thing. And so I do think that, like, over, t first of all, all this, like, they're not, you know, they're, they're giving me bad looks when I don't wear a mask thing is going to gradually die out over the next couple of weeks and months as the situation goes away. But it is a very powerful sign of what you believe and the kind of person you are. And for that, I actually feel like if I were in your position, if I were in New York around judgmental people, I would happily just wear a mask for as long as outdoors, just not for any scientific reason, but just because I do want to um, make those around me comfortable because that is the reality of the situation we're in. Yeah, I, and I've I've modified it. Like I I'll wear them. I I wear a mask when I go into a business. When I, like when I'm inside, I wear the mask because that's the guideline. And uh, um, and I do in for more in more crowded areas. Again, according to the guideline, I'll wear the mask, and that's kind of signaling it. But if it's late at night and I'm walking the dog, if it's like after ten o'clock and I'm not gonna be oh fuck that yeah never mind I'm on team I'm, I'm mask off never mind now that now that I right. hear the context the times that I was getting this shade was a time where I was like I was happily giving people space on the sidewalk. It was not like a crowded time. I wasn't in Manhattan or something like that I was in Park Slope, like a place where you can easily get six feet of distance from people. And to me, honestly, I saw myself as a as a cultural hero because I was like I was showing people I'm like it's fine. It's you can you can just do you can leave the mask at home. You can keep one. I keep one in my pocket if I have to go into a store or something like that. Like that's the way to do it. It's just like you know. So uh, how like, is your op how has your reopening been? Um, like have you gone? It's been awesome. Also, I'm one of the. I'm also one of the people that goes to indoor dining because I don't like. I'm, oh I'm no! Now it's fine. Person. Now yeah. now this, the context yeah. of that has completely changed. But yeah. back then it was. Like, yeah, it yeah. was. It, it, but again, to, maybe to counter that point, the way I saw it is I'm like, well, if we're in New York State where we have like essentially a like a left leaning government, more or less, particularly in New York City or like the culture is, then I'm like, well, then we're going to lift the guidelines according to what is like we are going to believe in the science. Like we did that at first. We weren't like these states like Michigan that were reluctant and then like wavered back and forth or like Texas on on shutting down or reopening. I was like, OK. Like if it says it's safe, twenty five percent. You wear a mask inside, then just go for it. It's like I, I'm like one of those people that just I guess believes the government party line. Uh, but now it's like it is getting back to. It's starting to slowly get back to normal. Like you can see stuff. Like, I mean, I'm I went to City Field on opening day. It was like that. That was that was a great thing, and it was weird because it was like half the seats were like zip tied up. But you know, yeah. it was like going to it was like going to City Field on a day when we'd skip work and go in the middle of like that amount of uh, that attendance. 
but forced. No, it is. It, <laughs> like, it is interesting. I mean, I think a baseball game would probably always, even with more people, because it is so big and outdoors. But like, yeah, this has been a very interesting experience in being. We're, we private people have essentially been regulated like businesses. You know, um, we have dealt with shifting regulations that directly impacts what we can do. It impacts the bottom line, honestly. And so usually, you know, the, the regulations that govern everyday life for us that aren't individuals who are not businesses or running businesses are, are constant, you know, but in this case, it was actually, right. it was like a little ex, just experience. It was a little experience um, in uh, regulation. And also, I mean, it was, you know, I, I don't think that it's like shameful to say, I trust the government party line. Like, who else is going to know, you know, like. They they're the ones that have the information. So, that, you know, and you hope that they're making the right decisions. You know what? Actually, I'm considering getting is the Sinovac because that's what they have here in Colombia. It's part of a massive um, PR campaign that the like, I mean, the Chinese government is just constantly doing nothing but propaganda. But uh, they've been distributing a ton of um, Sinovac vaccines in South America. And so I've, I'm friends with a doctor who's like administering vaccines. I'm gonna, I might try to get one or I might just wait because um, I don't want <laughs> maybe. Maybe Come on, get get on. Be be a patriot. Be an American patriot. Don't be don't become the Manchurian candidate. I mean, I'd probably make more money. I do. I was the Manchurian candidate. Speaking of which, um, let's transition to our second topic. Um, call this one "Windows to the World." This basically is uh, so a couple different things happened in different parts of the culture that I thought were funny uh, to tie together under the con- under the the concept of. Um, the elites accidentally showed us how they run the world. And the three things that I'm referring to are, <laughs> these are very disparate, but the three things I'm referring to are the Substack wars, the video that the CIA put out and the European super league in soccer. They all, they are all, all connected. Um, so let me tell, tell you what I'm talking about. So to start off, um, let me start off with one, the sub the Substack stuff. Okay, brief brief little rant on this. Substack is a service. Brian, you were on this even before anyone else. You used Tiny Letter. Though. No, I use, I use Substack. Substack. Yeah. You use Substack. Okay, Substack is a um, newsletter service that like is has like for some reason I don't really know the whole. It's context just a good, that. yeah. It's a good it's a good blog with an easily integrated newsletter and okay, payment per- perfect structure. this is literally something so that's that, all like, it is it's, it's, it's no different thing. fundamentally yeah. than blogger was or you know like back in the day and yet, yeah but except with the, it's easier to pay the people it's easier okay to, so the payment like, pairs. all right the thing is yeah. substack this old ass technology that allows you to put emails in people's inboxes comes along at a time in media at, at which everything is very touchy and so they have this media class that's like dying and they hate themselves and um, a lot of people are like that are prominent writers and stuff are leaving the space. Like I'm thinking of Glenn Greenwald, obviously, um, who basically got fed up with the way he was being edited. He wasn't allowed to criticize Joe Biden during the election. And so um, uh, he left like the place that he founded and went to Substack. And um, the same thing has happened for a lot of people that um, are kind of persona non grata in the cool kids media sphere. So Substack this simple kind of blank piece of paper on the internet has become that allows payment and, you know, to support these people, um, basically like blogger plus Patreon, I guess, um, or Gmail plus Patreon, uh, has become this like controversial thing because they don't have any editorial oversight. Right. And so they're being marketed as this 
this destination for like alt thinkers and people that used to be called the intellectual dark net, you know, like think like, you know, all these like Jordan Peterson type people, they can go to Substack. So if they're locked out of writing on publishing to teen Vogue, they can go to Substack and publish whatever they want. And to the, you know, yes, they have to curate a, an audience, but um, nothing's fact checked. Nothing is, you know, there's no standards and hate speech can proliferate and all this stuff. And th that's basically the kind of the contours of this, this fight that's going on. It's a very stupid fight in my opinion. Um, and it's mostly between like media cool kids, but um, someone from the Atlantic wrote an article that I thought kind of encapsulated how I feel about this. And um, it's basically about how, if you actually look at what people on Substack are writing, yeah, some of it's problematic. Like there's one person who just like uses it to attack trans people and, and dox them, um, which is the type of thing that kind of leads you to say, maybe they should have some, like I could see what someone would be talking about. Like that possibly shouldn't be allowed on a platform. But if you actually read this shit, like what people write when they have a newsletter, it's just petty bullshit between media people, you know? And um, the thing that like, yeah, well, I mean, like, I got, yeah, sorry, I got one because it's like, I got it before the culture war around it started. I had a long time ago, as you said, and it was like, you can still have a blog. All these people can still have a blog. I think the, the problem is that these people can find a way to easily financially support themselves on a platform. You know, it's like that, like, which I guess you could do now. I don't know if that says something about Substack's like valuation as a VC funded thing where it's like, oh, well, you could probably find out a payment structure for distribution on in some other way. But um. But yeah, like I, I think that's the that's where the crux of it is, because now all these like they got all these like celebs and these intellectual dark web people. But it's like it's still just a blog. Those people still can have a blog. They still have a platform like they have Twitter. Like they, they like we haven't the only person who's Twitter who's got taken away was Donald Trump's like it's like, you know what I mean? It, there, there's like what what is taking away a Substack from these people? Right. And do? I mean, it's you obviously know, it's like, something that is only controversial in the context of both our extremely censorious, like liberal media world and also right. a time when traditional media is struggling. Here's what's funny about it, though. I mostly don't give a shit about this. And I think no one else should either. This is something that unless you're getting paid to write articles like doesn't affect you and you should just be in favor of free speech. What's funny about it to me is that the whole Substack era is actually showing that there's another use of editors and like an editorial oversight. And it's not just the fact that you can proofread, well, proofread, yeah, but like fact check and like do, do good investigative reporting. But the other thing that good editing does is it keeps priorities towards something that anyone would actually care about. And like someone that's writing on Substack could be the most good faith, intelligent, hardworking, uh, intrepid and, and like full of integrity reporter and they would still let their horizon crowd with these like personal rivalries and stuff like that um, that you know and so it's just an interesting like oh these kinds of petty rivalries were always what defined media coverage but maybe it took a little bit longer to get to like you know the editorial room here you just see it right away because next to reporting on Gaza or something you could have like this person sub subtweeted me and I'm, you know, I'm angry about it. And like individual people are not a good source of learning about the world is my point. It is wild. You know, it is wild to me that there is, and it was mentioned in that Atlantic article too, but to that point, and I knew this was probably, there was probably a smaller audience from this in previous generations, but now in the social media era, it's become the new audience. But like, there's an audience of people that are just interested in these like petty the beefs in, yeah. in, in watching those beefs happen. 
And I'm like, you know, that would have happened if you were just in the industry previously. But now those people are maybe like tangential to the industry or just online too much or something like that. And they, they just watch that. I'm like, man, everyone needs to get a life. You know where this like, happened first? Just, sports. Thanks to ESPN, a Disney property. Yeah, I've been saying uh, for years true. that the yeah. ESPNification of sports has made... If you go to ESPN.com right now, it's all like, you know, shit talking between players and bullet, what used to be called bulletin board material. And, you know, that's just petty personal stuff. So it's an ongoing soap opera. Everything is. Um, okay. Second example of how the elites let us see the world. The CIA video. Brian, what what is the CIA video? Well, it, hold on. I have to take a mental health break because I'm a cisgendered millennial that's dealing with uh, generalized anxiety disorder. Um, it's just a recruitment video for the CIA that was posted online. I think the CIA's Twitter account is pretty, I mean, they're, they're the ultimate ironic posters online. Cause they're like, happy Martin Luther King day. <laughs> I think the FBI posted that actually. No. It's like, Ooh, I think the FBI legitimately posted happy Martin Luther King day. And I'm like, damn, that's a, uh, pretty, pretty, uh, insensitive post from the FBI if you know or have at least a theory about uh, it's been Dr. proven King. I mean they like, uh, no I'm thinking of Malcolm X yeah Malcolm X the FBI's Malcolm X is definitely but we know the FBI was definitely harassing oh, yeah, Martin sure. Luther King but the FBI proved, like they, a document yeah. came out about Malcolm X and they like were actively soliciting his assassination uh, a couple months ago yeah yeah uh, rage against the machine was right yep they murdered, they murdered X, X when he, he spoke <laughs> when he sp- no and then, then tried to blame it on Islam. Spoke, That's what it is. Blame it on Islam. They murdered King and this, when he spoke out on Vietnam, um, according to Zach De La Roca. Um, but yeah, so the CIA, it's just a recruitment video where it's like a Latino woman like talking about her proud Latina heritage and also that she works for the CIA. Uh, I don't know what I don't know what her job at Langley is, but I I can't imagine DNA. it's good. And I like, you know, I. yeah, <laughs> Um because and also as a as a Fordham alumnus and you should be a fellow uh, angry about this is like I was under the impression that Fordham was kind of like we were kind of like the recruited always as the muscle CIA guys and like the Yale people were always like the brains upper level CIA people and Fordham guys like John Brennan or that guy from the movie The Good Shepherd who Frank DiGiorgio played um, were were like we're, we were kind of the grunts of CIA work we were like just smart enough to get it but also like just execute on like <laughs> literal executions <laughs> um, but but apparently the CIA needs more workers or not I guess we can get into this now we can discuss but they they posted a recruitment video uh, and and from a very woke and uh, people in a college-educated demographic and a major urban area would kind of vocabulary that they would be very familiar It was just with. like, um, here, let me, uh, we'll, we'll play a little bit of it. And now, nothing about me was or is tragic. I am perfectly made. I can wax eloquent on complex legal issues in English while also belting Guayaquil de mis amores in Spanish. I can change a diaper with one hand and console a crying toddler with the other. I am a woman of color. I am a mom. I am a cisgender millennial who's been diagnosed with generalized anxiety disorder. I am intersectional, but my existence is not a box checking exercise. I am a walking declaration, a woman whose inflection does not rise at the end of her sentences, suggesting that a question has been asked. I did not sneak into CIA. My employment was not and is not the result of a fluke or slip through the cracks. I earned my way in and I earned my yeah, way up the ranks of this organization. I think the, the thing that it's said to me is that this is officially the 
telos of the you know the end point of uh, like wokeness. The entire problem that people have always had with wokeness is not the the actual effort towards equality that it, it started as, but rather that this is a really easy thing that power can co-opt without having to sacrifice anything. Right? It's just a, it's just a language. It's a grammar. It's mostly for show. I've always claimed that it's like a fashionable thing, most of all. And it turns out the CIA can co-opt it just as well as anyone. And like, a, but what's so weird about it is that it was like such a pure concentrate shot of this whole sentiment that it felt to me like, oh, this is what it feels like to be a Burmese citizen with flyers coming down out of a plane, like with political propaganda on it. Like we are getting, I mean, this is what it feels like when the CIA comes for your local vernacular, you know? And it's like, it's not incorrect. Like they did their research and they know the right beats and syntax to use, but it's also so concentrated and synthetic that it just seems kind of strange. So, but I mean, if we're like, you know, very savvy and cynical media consumers, if we were a little bit more naive, I could totally imagine how something that spoke to wokeness or whatever given, you know, political um, and, and speech uh, related norms we wanted to see adhered to, it would have worked. So it was just an interesting insight into like, oh, I'm getting CIA'd right now. <laughs> and there's trying well, to CIA my, think, my demographic. So then, question for you then. Do you think it was legitimate, do you think it was a legitimate campaign to boost recruitment for the CIA? Like, do you think the CIA is not getting enough applications and they want more diversity? N no, I think that they understand that post-Trump, uh, the people most likely to go for them is the MSNBC, Rachel Maddow crowd. And also, bar barring any popular uprising, uh, the power center in this country and the, the moneyed elite is uh, the urban elite who, you know, this attempts right. to um, speak to. I'm using... I'm using the that. Yeah, it's a people. brand campaign because I'm using it rhetorically to ask you that because it's like, okay, well, if you're smart enough to get that ad target to you, if you're smart enough to apply to the CIA, granted, there's some probably some outliers or some guy who just went on like a full weekend coke binge and was like, I'm doing it. I'm becoming a spy. But like if you're smart enough, you're smart enough to know what the CIA is and you're smart enough to also and you if you have that vocabulary lo loaded in your vernacular then you also probably are smart enough to know the history of the CIA or at least aware of what they and have And fundamentally previously. what the organ is there to achieve. <laughs> right. And it's, go it's stated goals, yeah, and, and like what it, what it functions as. It's not just like a... It's not like you're just going to go work for the some right. other branch of the like, government. Yeah, like, there's no way... In other words, if you're getting this ad, you're probably educated enough to not have a benign attitude. You know what? I think you'd be surprised. I mean, I think you're probably functionally right but i think that you like look, look at all the kamala people who are like you know they're totally happy with uh or, i mean all this has been the story of msnbc for the last four years you know they'll have um that's true who was that guy the cia director who left who was like talking too loud on a um michael hayden michael hayden yeah. was um uh used to run the cia and he was giving an off the record interview to someone but he was doing it while he was riding the Acela train on his cell phone and he was talking so loudly that everyone around him could clearly hear what he was saying. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, there are plenty. Those guys have been like resistance heroes for a while. So, I mean, this is this has been well, well trod ground. Anyway, it was just interesting to see. Um, I, I'm sure the CIA is trying to, you know, get the, you know, Hillary Bay people. But um, 
Well, I guess that is the people they want. Well, maybe they do because those are those are the best soldiers. Like that's K- true. And Hillary. What if I mean? Wait, maybe yeah. all of wokeness, like this whole Super Bowl culture, is just a CIA breeding ground to see who's going to be amenable to like, hey, you got to have a very flexible system of mores, and you've actually been doing everything wrong, and you're bad. Those people would probably be the ideal CIA recruits. Oh, absolutely, they are. So maybe that is. Maybe that's the case. That it's like, well, they're just smart enough to execute, like execute, like I used before. They are just smart enough to like get to have a degree and put on the other things that put you uh, like in this class of people, but they're also just pliable enough to be like, Oh yes. What MSNBC and uh, tells me is correct. And that's not propagandized. And more importantly, the one thing that wokeness demands, if you're actually a a true believer is pliability. Like you have to always be changing. You're like having any relativism is the name of everything. You cannot have any like resolute beliefs. Um, You have to, everything is, yeah, you have to, apply you you can you can negotiate your own moral compass to the point of where you don't even really know where it's calibrated yeah. to begin with so it's just like that's the and if you had yeah. yeah and whatever it was anyway. calibrated to is wrong um okay and then i think the we last... should just be we would be great cia assets cia so whoever is the intern at the nsa or cia listening to this podcast because i feel like there's got to be one person's job every summer that's like okay you just got to scan that's what they the give to the Fordham Guild. Yeah, exactly. That's what they give. They're like, just check in on former alums who might be threats to the state, and we get like the low. We're like low on the totem pole, but it's like some somebody's job. I just, I'm just saying, I'm putting it out there. Like we can be, we just get us in on an operation, like a fun one. Like we'll just like move. Like we'll just like like we'll like just, just like get little, us into something. Maybe like a hit in like some fun place that I'm yeah traveling to already. We'll we'll spike the water supply in Honduras or something with whatever you want. Like it's like we'll just and like we'll be total patsies. We won't be affiliated. <laughs> like you can you can totally deny all plausibility of us having any. Involvement. I think that's how things used to work. I think they they used to recruit like regular people way more often. So we just kind of missed our boat on that. I would fucking I would work for the CIA and right. botch it intentionally and then move to a different country. That's what I would do. Yeah. Uh, well, it's like the mafia. Once you're in, you, you never leave. You I know? figured out a way to leave. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I would just procrastinate yeah. long enough that they just gave it to someone else. Um, speaking of other countries, the final uh, piece of our segment on um, the windows to the world is the Super League. Uh, this was a very brief but very hilarious story. Um, and uh, it was basically just a, a look at the at the absolutely craven way that rich people won the, ran the world. Um, and so basically in the super league, what we have is like these teams that are powerful, they already make way more money than everyone else. And yet what do people in that position want? There's only one thing they want. They want more, they want more, like they want to have, you know, a complete monopoly over, uh, their, over the entire league. And so they tried to do this. It completely backfired, but it was like, I mean, the people who run soccer teams are generally like fail sons that of like wealthy fail sons of like, you know, the Ancelotti's or, um, you know, any, any of those guys. And so, um, yeah, they betrayed too much like about their their plan for running civilization. Well, it was also it was hilarious because I went to go look at the date where you emailed me about this. And that was only like three weeks ago. And it was like it was such a collapse. It happened within like 48 hours where they like launched their like. Oh, uh, we're going to do the Super League where we exclude. It's only these hyper elite teams. Um, And then within 48 hours, it was gone. And I was like, damn. I was like, you know what the thing is that like that was also a testament to like European capitalism versus American capitalism. Whereas like we would have been propagandized for years the same way that we have been oh, propagandized totally. like it would just the idea of like a Super League would have eventually just been like massaged into the context of like 
Yeah, like it would have just been like over years they're like, okay, the thirty richest people in America that own baseball teams, we're actually gonna like go create another league, like and for five or six years, like they just go on this camp- media campaign where you'd be like, No, I don't want to do it and then like six years later. Yeah, we like, would oh, be well. dragged kicking it's and like, screaming yeah. into their world because that's how the world works. Right. Um right. Yeah, no, totally. And the thing that's the other thing that's funny about that to me is that it you know, what the irony of ever the blowback against the Super League was that Soccer has been lost for a long time. Like the the objection that people had to cite for why this is a bad thing, um, you know, all the like ex players and stuff who were going on TV and you know guys who were thoroughly like you know football got, football blouts gazes proper gazes, you know they didn't like this and they had to put it under the guise of you know what's not competitively fair, as if like you know some you know like West Brom is ever going to sniff the Champions League. Like it, it has man. I remember when Manchester City. It's ironic that they were one of the teams allowed in the Super League, because I remember they were bad for a long time, and then some fucking UAE oil sheik like put all of, you know, like I'm sure quadrupled their salary cap, and then all of a sudden they became one of the best teams in the world. Like soccer is already a broken system, but they don't. They didn't want to talk about that. Like it was so ironic to me that the idea that this is uh, going to become this capitalist nightmare, the Super League, wasn't was the issue. Like they they couldn't make it, it the issue, is. right? It already is that. So well, soccer team soccer teams are the original NFTs because it is like it's well the reason why I mean like Steve Cohen owns the Mets now is one of the richest people on on the planet, but like. One of the reasons is he's a Mets fan, but he was also looking to buy other teams. Like he just happened to like get lucky in wow, the way that I did like, not know that. So, but the, the part of the reason why that is is like not only because he, for the good in the goodness of his heart, loves the New York Mets, and hey, look, I'm happy that Steve Cohen is spending his money on the Mets and not the Wilpons anymore. The other thing is that it's like, oh yeah, he realizes that it's like this is the end point of capital. Where I'm like, okay, I can I can be one of the thirty people that owns this thing that has only directly shot up in value. You like it it only can possibly expand. It, it's also just an easy way. They're also sports leagues are famously easy ways to launder money and you know like oh, that sure. kind of stuff. So, yeah, um, I think that's part of it. All right, Mister Cisgender, cisgendered millennial. Um, let's wrap it. Uh, that's that's our activation. That was actually probably like our activation term. That's, that's probably was. true. Yeah, we probably should have talked about. We probably should have talked about the police violence in Colombia too, but we'll do that. Anyway. Yeah, uh, yeah, well, it's like uh, it's happening. It's a big thing. Um, it hasn't affected Medellin that much because apparently the like the Paisa spirit is very uh, like they run the country. They don't run. They don't fight among them amongst themselves. They see themselves as the, <laughs> the rich landed gentry sort of. But yeah, no, it's I mean, Colombian people have uh, are fighting for their country. It uh, it's a country in which the rich get r- richer and they're they're not here for it. So, you know, they're, right now I, I have friends that can't come back to the city to their homes because the roads are just shut down. Um, but, um, and I mean the, basically the story is that like the violence that used to exist in the compost, like afflicting peasants is now in the cities afflicting urban peasants. So it definitely, you know, South American politics is a buckle your seatbelt type of deal. But, um, yeah, I hope that, uh, you know, change comes here anyway. Viva Viva Colombia. Colombia. All right, Brian, stay safe. Will do. I will talk to you later. And I'll right, later. you out there, too. Don't get the Chinese vaccine. Come back and get the patriotic American vaccine. It's too late. All right. Whatever.